0: Well, in our evening services, uh, despite that reading from Colossians, we are actually uh, in the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, chapter 1, and the portion we're looking at this evening is from verse 9 to verse 14, and there's some overlap, as you'll appreciate, between the themes that we have here and the themes, indeed, that occurred in that reading in Colossians, chapter 1. We've thought about how our eyes need to be wide, wide open. And this opening chapter of Paul's letter to the Ephesians is designed to do that, to open our eyes, to see the big picture and realize our place within it. And to know that we are part, actually, of something very, very big. And so the title of the sermon is We Are Part of Something Very Significant, but like I said, we're part of something very big. But anyway, we've chosen the word significant. We're part of something very significant. We are. And this passage leaves us in no doubt about that. Whatever we may have been feeling tonight, whatever may have been our thoughts as we, we came here or sat here this evening, this is the fact. This is the context of life forget the politics forget the chaos the mayhem that's uh, the world the world is fading and one day passes away and all earthly governments will cease to be the kingdoms and thrones will be no more as we sung in the hymn earlier but we are inevitably if we are members of christ's body christians indeed from whichever nation we come, all nations, because it's very cosmic. This we're part of something very, very significant. And we may feel that we belong in small churches. I guess this church must be accredited as small church. We may wonder that Paul as a prisoner could write this. Why hadn't hadn't it kind of worn off him a bit? There he is in prison. Well, part of something big and significant, uh, there in chains, really? Oh yes, he says, most definitely. And despite the fact that Christians face mm, doubted challenges and extraordinary problems as we try to live out our Christian faith here in this country in a deeply secular nation, well, our brother from Tamil Nadu state there in India can say likewise in India. That's, uh, things difficult for Christians. We read at times, don't we then? Perhaps not in Tamil Nadu, but other Indian states where there is a very savage beatings that pastors and church gatherings experience. So he's saying with all of that happening with so many places in the world, so much persecution, so many places where the church is struggling, that is part of something very big. Almost oh, certainly we can have. Here, this eminent apostle in prison, but he still finds this a very, very agreeable subject to him. God gave him the words, but he wasn't saying them against his will. You find the man himself is invested in all the words he's saying. And when in the Colossian church, he prays for them with thanksgiving and feels great joy at the thought of them as he does the believers in Ephesus, be sure of this, he means it, he feels it. And these great themes animate him, he lives for them, he'll die for them, and indeed eventually did. So as really in summing up all of verse 1 to 14 of Ephesians chapter 1, it is very cosmic. And it takes us from eternity past, takes us through the present, takes us on into the future. We might have to say eternity, future, all of it is covered here in this passage. And all of it, in a sense, a seamless whole. So no interruption. The grand plans of God, notwithstanding the spite of men, notwithstanding persecution, secularism, whatever else-ism, will prevail. And at the center of it all, yes, at the center of it all, ah, oh, not prime ministers, not kings, not Presidents, none of these. It's the Son of God. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And as this passage has brought us from the Father's good pleasure and His eternal plans and election and predestination, and has taken us to the Son and His blood that was shed, and the redemption, and the forgiveness of sin, the very heart of, of our hope, actually. That here, this day, the fullness of times was accomplished, and the Lord Jesus came forth, sent by the Father, died, had to, necessity, had to die as the person, Jesus Christ, both God and man, to die as such and yield up his life that we might be saved from our sin. And how is this impressed upon us? How do we find these things to be so? Well, the Holy Spirit is given. And you'll find in this opening chapter, first 14 verses, well, there's the Holy Spirit towards the end of this section. We're part friends of something very significant. And we say that as we see the nights drawing in here in, in England. Ah, oh, the clocks change next week, don't they? And, ah, oh, we always feel a little sigh and a heavy heart with that. Well, doesn't matter because nothing's changed. And all these words were the first given to Paul in that prison cell in Rome to write to these dear believers in Ephesus. True them, and it's as true today. First heading, great plans, great plans. And these plans were there before you and I were even born. They were there before we were even born. And it's almost as if, well, I don't want to trivialize it, but like a surprise party that so uh, people have been busy getting ready. You didn't know it; you had a clue about it. But they're getting ready for a special birthday or some special event. And then you—you might have been told a little bit of a story about why you needed to put your best clothes on that evening and why you were going down this way and not that way. And then, surprise! All of this has been going on, and I didn't even know about it. And it's a, it's a great joy, isn't it? Great delight, and you. You learn from that how much uh, you appreciate you may be. Well, here God has been doing a lot, a lot of things before we even appeared and preparing for us to walk into the experience of salvation, to come into the reality of those things. And this was all in his mind and prepared for us, for us, people, for people like us, named people, people who, hadn't a clue who were dead in their trespasses and sins, as we're going to see in a few weeks' time, God willing, in the beginning of chapter two. And God was preparing all of this for us. And his son was prepared for all that he would have to endure that we could walk in this. And the Holy Spirit was ready in eternity past to apply all of this, that we may make wonderful discoveries, discoveries which go against the grain of our nature, that uh, would never have occurred to our own kind of intellect or intelligence or whatever we might credit ourselves with having, but it was all planned. And God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit uh, were working there—three persons of the Godhead—to ensure that it is so. And so, as we we think of it, these great plans. This is that uh, the the good pleasure which he purposed in himself, the the mystery of his will, this this power beyond anything that a world, governments, angels, demons can oppose against him, that he will have his way. He will have his way. His great plan will take place all that he has desired. He will overrule everything, he will overturn anything in order to bring it. To pass As in verse nine, it tells us, having made known to us the mystery's will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, purposed in himself, that it all just follows from the very character, from the very person of who God is, that it's his purpose. It's not one that he kind of had to think about and borrow from somewhere. Just is really in Romans uh, chapter 11, verses 33 to 36. Oh. Says Paul there, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Or who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him? For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom he glory for ever. Amen. Well, that succinctly puts it there. He stands alone. These are his own purposes and plans. He hasn't borrowed ideas off anybody else. He hasn't consulted to see what the outcome of that might be. Not as if uh, present uh, contenders are just asking around, well, if I ran for office, will you support me in this? Uh, Can I promise you there is no such horse trading? God purposes these things in himself. And out there and through history and on into the future, there'll be a lot of disappointed opponents and a lot of disappointed evildoers who hate these things, hate his plans, hate the purpose of his will, but who will find that they couldn't stand against it. No matter how much fury and energy, how much deviousness they brought to it, they failed every time. And all of this, what is operating here in his will and what is his good pleasure, simply his good pleasure to do these things, It is that his son should have the preeminence. It is all about his son. It's a great plan that has its great fulfillment in his son. He is the mystery of his will, not a mystery in respect of something where we're still pretty much left in the dark. But speaking of something which is now revealed, something that was concealed but is now revealed, and that revealing centres around his son. The fullness of time had come, he came, and that revelation that mankind needed a Saviour, a Saviour who could save from sin, not some temporary expedient of a bull or a goat or a lamb that's slain, but him a fully functioning human being who would offer himself in that nature as well as being God. For the sake of his people, he came. And what it talks about, and it's quite a complicated looking expression, isn't it? In verse 10, the dispensation of the fullness of the times. Well, it's talking there about a a kind of administration, that this is an administration, a kind of way in which things are now being done. And in this administration or stewardship, this particular way that now things are to be accomplished and fulfilled and done, how the whole system works, if you like, well, it is that it might be gathering together in one all things in Christ. Simple as that, as cosmic as that. This is what this whole system is about, if you like. This is how all of the operation of this, the, the mechanics of it and administration of it is working towards this. The fullness of the times, the mode of operation is all to do very explicitly, very deliberately, very visibly to bring you all things under the headship of our Lord Jesus Christ. Everything, all a harmonious whole and with him Exercising visible, eventually visible and clear headship. So is Colossians one. And we read that passage, didn't we there? And just to read a couple of verses from it again, verses 19 and, uh, 18 and 19 or 18 rather. And he is the head of the body. The church is the beginning, the first born from the dead that in all things he may have the preeminence. So it's the design of the father. The son should have the preeminence, that he should be seen to be doing this, holding it all together. He should be seen to be the one who, by his rule, this administration, this this stewardship, the end of the times, should all center upon him. And it's already happening. It's been happening since he came. You could even argue it's been happening prior to that, preparing for it. It's happening today. It's going to happen in the future, too. One of the things which particularly then was a a, a big thing of gathering together was that Jews and Gentiles would share and have like faith, like common faith, that so they both of them, which had been groups well and truly in the purposes of God, actually kept apart, but now were to be drawn together and united together under the headship of Christ. That's bringing together, that gathering, that drawing Well, it's going to occupy Paul's thought a fair bit towards the latter end of chapter two of Ephesians. He's going to ensure that each of those groups, there there'll be no distinction because they're going to hear the word of truth. That's what uh, is planned for them. That's what this administration, this way of doing things in the fullness of times is all about, that these people would actually hear the word of truth as in verse 13. We see it, the gospel of their salvation. It's going to be the same gospel, Jews and the Gentiles. They're going to hear what they need to hear and they're going to believe what they need to believe. There is our Lord gathering together a people and gathering them out of their sin. His headship is part of drawing them, drawing us gradually out of the power of sin, but instantly from its guilt. When we first believe and we're justified, that's the guilt of sin, cleans me from its its guilt and its power, isn't it? It's, It's a double cure that he gives. And the power, well, that still remains, doesn't it? And we're still battling sin, but we have victories because he's gathering together under Christ all things. And sin is not part of what's gathered in, it's what's left behind. And when we read in Psalm 110 of that authority of Christ in those very well-known first two verses, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion. Rule in the midst of your enemies. He is ruling in the midst of his enemies and he is going to make his enemies his footstool. Sin is going to be defeated. It's going to be as nothing. In his plan of salvation for us one day, sin utterly and utterly defeats it. Not in heaven, no sin there, no place for it. But here, still a place for it in our hearts, sadly. But he's gathering us under his headship out of that. He's purging it. He's refining us and purifying us. Let some of the old degrading and sad and wretched ways that we had become less and less. And the pull and the tie of it, the, the hold that it has, weakens. It becomes less and less. So he's gathering us. He's bringing us out of that and bringing us under his headship, defeating his enemies, ruling over them. And one day they're going to be absolutely subjected and subdued. They have no place there. We are going to see... Our fallen bodies brought into harmony with him. He's gathering together everything in that way. And there we are in verse 14. Who is the, in the Holy Spirit, that is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. Full and final redemption of the purchased possession. Us. So our soul, our, our spiritual life is now secure. Our bodies are still rather wayward and still at times defeating higher purposes and ends. We simply can't achieve those things because our bodies are broken down and they don't function because of the fall perfectly. But one day they will. One day all of that is, is brought to a comfortable end. He's, he's gathering, as it were, our, our bodies too. And he's going to rule over us with our body now that has been perfected, not malfunctioning, not all the embarrassing things that our bodies do. Oh, I could fill a book on them. But, friends, it will end. That is all to pass. First Corinthians chapter 15, and uh, there in verses 24, 25, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. Of course, eventually that's going to be death, and certainly going to be the end of sickness and injury, chronic conditions, fatigues, or manner of malfunctions that we're we're subject to. And He's even redeeming us now, not necessarily by way of totally curing us, but giving us grace to be able to bear those things and grace to be able to endure through them. And that's all part of His gathering us, gathering together all things. And that will involve our bodies as well, that redemption. And his enemies, well, his enemies are very much going to have to submit to his headship. They don't want to now. They're fighting. They're kicking. They're screaming. Oh, we feel don't win. Sometimes when politicians open their mouths, they'd be well advised to keep them closed because out come the most basic antagonisms towards God. And the truth and most basic uh, displeasure that they feel of having to, having to be part of a culture where the Bible still is. And they, they kick against that. Well, one day there's all harmony and they've changed their minds. They, they will change their minds. Atheists will change their minds. They'll have to because the evidence will compel them to. Well, the evidence should compel them now but for their sinful rebelliousness and their unbelief and their suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. Well, they would believe now that that's sin for you. That's what it does. It corrupts the mind, but not then. They'll have clarity of thought. And as all things are gathered together in the great purpose of God in Christ, whether in heaven and on earth, in him, and that's stress, isn't it? It's in him. Then even all his enemies are going to submit to him. And agree with him. He's ruling them now with a rod of iron and how that day will be. Well, let Revelation chapter 6 tell us how they'll feel about things. Atheists and all kinds of people who dishonored him. But they'll believe in him then. Revelation 6 and in verses 15 and uh, 17 to 17. Kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man. Hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day his wrath has come and who is able to stand and they'd rather wish that their books and their sayings and podcasts and everything else could be buried as well that they could be hidden and forgotten and lost Of course, the mountains are not going to oblige them and the rocks are not going to somehow conceal them. And they will have to stand. They can't not stand on this great day of his wrath. Who is able to stand? Well, they will have to appear before him and answer for what they have done. And of course, there in Philippians chapter two, it tells us that they're actually going to bow the knee to him. Think on that. Philippians two verses nine to 11. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. all his opponents are now under his headship. They've all been gathered together in one. They're not going to remain in a place of uh, of seeing him. They're not going to remain there. Because of course, that is all to be consigned to hell. It's all to be judged and condemned, removed from the very presence of God. And we were having Matthew chapter 25 this morning and the, the lot of the, the accursed go into the fire prepared for the devil and his angels. That's where it's to be. And so here in the gathering together in one under the headship of Christ, all the disharmony, all of the disobedience is expelled. All is now at peace, heaven and earth. Everything now is brought under the perfect subject will of God and everything that offended is cast out. All that was wrong, all that was contrary, all the discordant notes caused by unbelieving people. God suffers them to enjoy their dinners and to enjoy the sunshine and well, if they are out and about today, they might have had a fair bit of rain fell on their heads too. Well, that was God's kindness. He's allowing them the benefits of rain and sun. But one day, all those benefits are withdrawn. And it warns in Revelation chapter 21 how all that offends is is not any longer to be found there. That is all then to be finally and totally excluded. So we find the exclusion, Revelation 21, verse 8, the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake, which burns with fine brimstone, which is the second death. There's harmony. All that offends, all that is wrong, is cast out. Now the justice of God is upheld. Now the honour of God and the place of the Lord Jesus Christ, they all have bowed to him and exalted him and that is therefore bringing under his headship even his enemies angels as well they they're all to be part of that authority good ones disobedient ones all all kinds of ones they too are there rejoicing or condemned and uh, 1st Peter chapter 3 verses 19 to 20 I won't read them but have that preaching to those disobedient spirits in in the prison announcing a victory accomplished on the cross and uh, soon to be vindicated by that resurrection from the dead and eventually all creation all creation under his headship so Romans chapter 8 and a beautiful passage isn't it there about what awaits creation Romans 8 verse 18 and following. For I consider, writes the apostle, that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. We know that the whole creation groans and labours with birth pangs together until now. That's where it is. You you see it in nature and all of the unfulfillment that's there, and deaths and things that are just not working right and proper, and, beauty that fades so so quickly or has its kind of flip side there's something there that you 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 might get hurt on or it might turn nasty on you one day in his plan of gathering together in one all things under the headship of christ creation to a liberty a day of liberty for creation all those creatures plant life and all kinds of life All of it is going to be part of this very significant moment where already there's a gathering together of us, redeemed people, gathered, leaving our sins behind, progressive sanctification, dealing with them, as enemies where one day. Finally, all will be solved. and All justice will be done and be seen to be done. Everything that has offended God will be removed and we will rejoice as saints in the light. Angels will be rejoicing in him. Those that were disobedient are in their everlasting darkness and creation will be there. The new heavens and the new earth creation and not some strange creation, the like of which you and I have never seen, but continuity creation bearing still so much of what we are used to in this world, but now working at a higher level of specification and not defeating, as it were, its own best interests through mindless killing or anything like that, but now in its full beauty and now functioning at a much higher level. So I'm going to finish there. I've got more to say, but that will have to wait another week. But here's just to say we're part of something very significant. We're part of this gathering together, which is the Father's will of all things under Christ's headship. Nothing's going to stop it. Nothing's going to be able to oppose it it's happening. We are part of that happening. We're gradually and increasingly under his headship, leaving our sins behind and what the world's done to us and all the temptations, getting ready for the day when finally our bodies respond perfectly and we're in the right shape to enjoy heaven, be in the Lord's presence there forevermore. Second death, not to touch us so be encouraged day of small things uh it's that all right and uh, we we would would that people listen we're we'll out in the open air next saturday god willing in Belpa. sure has everything changed out there i've seen no indication of it yet but we'll be out there and we'll be preaching and we'll be longing that people see that they need to be on the right side of history here They need to be on the Lord's side, not fighting against him, because that's the way of ruin. We, however, are on the Lord's side, and we are part of this very, very significant thing that God is bringing to pass in and through his dear son. Amen.